This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. CanDo is navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots. I'm James Heal and I'm joined today by Katie Balls and Isabel Harpen. Now it's five days or so since the local election results came in. Katie, what's really the sense in Westminster today now that we've all come back? As predicted, King Charles has helped Rishi Sunak out, not for the first time in his reign. Uh, the first was, of course, the Windsor Framework. You have a situation where it was pretty dismal results for the Tories. In fact, it was over 1,000 councillors that they lost. Um, this was a figure that had been bandied about by the party chairman, Greg Hans, as part of a damage um limitation to so they could spin anything below that as a great success and beating expectations and then they went over it so I do think it was worse than lots of people expected and it also brought home the fact that the polls are real and you haven't really had that uh, big electoral test has been by-election since the troubles under Boris Johnson and then of course um, the mini budget under Liz Truss but it didn't it hasn't felt um, I'm going to use the word that we're not supposed to use in Westminster because it's overused but it hasn't febrile in the way it has previously when when you've had you know disastrous local election results such as Theresa May 2019 when she went on to be pushed out and had to say that she was going to go on the Tory WhatsApp group on Friday you had um, obviously these are people sympathetic to Rishi Sunak so it felt a little bit concerted campaign coming out saying if anyone is thinking about briefing things which are unhelpful, I think Andrew Bowie, the Scott Tory MP, put this. Um, don't do that. Rishi Sunak is more popular than the Tory party by quite some distance and we need to stay united. And what was interesting is you had a mix of, um, and not everyone will show their heads, of course, but lots of you know, likes and so forth. Um, but you had Jackie Joel Price, who's someone who battles trust, saying, um, <laughs> unhelpful is diplomatic, don't you mean insanity? The idea of trying to change leader or undermine Rishi Sunak, which I think gives you a little bit of a snapshot of where the main opinion in the Tory party is. Now, of course, I think any of us at any time of the day can find an anonymous Tory MP who's going to say it's time to bring back Boris Johnson. That's been the case, I think, ever since he he left number 10. But it does not feel as though there is a groundswell of we need to think about an alternative person in the slightest. That said, I do think that... Uh, <laughs> The problem for Rishi Sunak is just that recovery narrative, we're closing the gap, has really been knocked by this. And I think lots more Tory MPs are once again thinking about a life in opposition and potentially losing their seats. So how does Rishi Sunak get that back to a part where the party is more united? And you had an interesting poll yesterday, which um, by Redfield and Wilderman showed, you know, the smallest Labour lead, I think around 12 points since, I think, Boris Johnson's uh, troubles. Yet, that's not being greeted with glee by figures in the Tory party because it also showed the Lib Dems going up quite a lot. And the fear, if you look at Friday's results, is you have a situation where the party's vote is squeezed in all areas. So the Lib Dems doing very well and Labour doing quite well means that that lead could still spell quite a nasty situation for the Tory party. I think the one ray of light for the Tories over the weekend is because Labour fell short um, and on both the Sky Model prediction and the BBC News one of, of an outright majority. You now have lots of questions saying, who will you get into bed with Keir Starmer, Ed Davey, is the SNP? Um, and, and you can see the Tories pushing that. I think it's still the case, though, that the coalition of chaos attack line holds less weight um, than it did uh, back in 2015. And Isabel, 
What is the reaction in Labour and Liberal Democrats to this? And surely this is just going to mean that the dominant question of the next 15, 18 months, no matter how, how Labour tries to spin it, is going to be, if Labour can't form a majority government, who will they get into coalition with? Yeah, so Keir Starmer has spent most of today shadow cabinet meetings or a sort of weird hybrid meeting with council Labour council leaders as well. And uh, you will be astonished to learn that the tenor of his address to the shadow cabinet has been that Labour shouldn't be complacent uh, and that things are going to get harder from here on in. Um, we've talked about this before on the podcast, the sort of debate within the Labour Party um, about how well it's doing and how confident they can be. So talk to some members of the um, of the party in Parliament who are very happy with how things are going and saying, you know, God, we're, we're going to be in government. This is brilliant. But I'd say many more front benches are very apprehensive, uh, not just actually just about the sort of the scale of the task that Starmer has been talking to his front benches about today, but also about whether Starmer himself is up to that scale um, of the task. And that's the, the question that a lot of them are still asking, you know, they're obviously not going to change leader or anything like that, unlike the Conservative Party. Um, they tend to stick with their leaders even when they're um, appalling, as we saw over the past, um, uh, the, the five years preceding um, Starmer. Um, but what they are worried about is that the public aren't rushing to him saying, God, here's Keir, he's going to change things. I mean, even Labour's tagline uh, from the local elections last week was time for change. It wasn't time for Labour, it was just time for not the Tories. Um, and... So the challenge that Labour has and that Starmer is nodding to in, in the pre-released words to Shadow Cabinet um, is that the party has to convince people to want to vote Labour, not just to run away from the Tories. And Katie, we had the coronation over the weekend. Obviously, pomp and circumstance all went off pretty well. But the sort of only news story from it was the arrest of these uh, Republican protesters. What's the reaction in Westminster to all of that? It seems that the government is pretty much behind the Met on this one. Get lots of ministers, including the prime minister, praising the police, um, getting very behind them, but also at the same time saying these decisions are decisions by the police, not to do with our recent bill, um, or at least that's the implication. Where, um, of course, you know, the Conservative Party has been pushing for more heavy-handed options when it comes to policing. Um, what I think has been interesting is, obviously, Tories getting in behind the police, but there's been more uncertainty as in what exactly is Labour's position on this. So over the weekend, you had Labour opposing the bill that's recently passed, but when it was put to them on the Sunday morning round to various you know, shadow cabinet members, well, would you repeal it once you you know come to government if that happens? Uh, David Lammy would not be drawn on that. Um, and there was... Because Keir Starmer already has a reputation for changing tack on policies and because there are some concerns uh, within the Shadow Cabinet and Labour Party that the that there's just not too much of a differentiation between Labour and the Tories and lots of issues as they go for those swing voters, um, I think it's just uh, adding to a sense of, um, you know, where is that dividing line on some of these issues? You know, if it is Tory light, perhaps that's what Labour do need to do. And you saw some successes on Friday in terms of um, some of the councils in, in red wall areas. Um, but it's not one that, uh, you know, makes lots of uh, those on the left feel um, particularly animated. They think this is something where Labour should be on the side of those who are facing undue force. And Isabel, it's really this raises a more 
wider issue as well for Labour, which is that, you know, they get, I think the Tory strategy appears to be trying to exploit Labour divisions, try and get it down to 10 points in the polls, and then hopefully some of those jitters in the Labour side will re-emerge. You know, is there not a case that Labour often say they oppose things and they'll go along and accept it? Is there any case of sort of Labour divisions opening up and that way opening the Tories back into making this competitive election again? So this is the really interesting thing about a lot of the legislation uh, that we're seeing either uh, coming out of, of Parliament, still going through. Uh, Public Order Act obviously was, was only uh, passed into law in the, in the last few weeks. Um, a lot of it might not actually work. Um, and you might argue that actually the, you know, the policing of the coronation protests shows that the, the bar has been set too low. Uh, or you might look at the illegal migration bill and say that uh, some of the measures in that uh, will firstly not stop the boats. And also, as Theresa May has been warning, uh, enslave people, which is not generally what uh, governments want to do. Um, and uh, But aside from the actual workability of the legislation is its political impotence. And it's not just at this stage in Parliament of whether or not Labour will oppose it. It's what the party will do in government. Um, and I was talking to a Tory peer the other day, actually, who um, uh, who's very interested in the sort of strategising around all of this. And he was saying, well, this is going to be really difficult for Labour to repeal, even though they have you know, voted against so many of these measures on illegal migration, on public order, uh, going further back on the Trade Union Act, for instance. Um, they tend to have quite broad brush public support. And as David Lammy alluded to when he um, was interviewed about this, um, it takes a long time to repeal a piece of legislation. And when you're a new government who has been in opposition for a very long time, what you want is to be doing things, not undoing things. Um, and that's the question for Labour is, does it want to use a lot of political capital, burn a lot of goodwill from the public, um, even on policies that might not work? I mean, we see a lot of policies that don't work that are popular, unfortunately. Um, and uh, is that really going to be a priority for the party? Uh, and that's something that Conservatives are quite gleeful about actually I think that's also an insight into where the Conservatives are um, psychologically because if they're thinking about things that will make life difficult for Labour when it's in government they're not in a particularly confident place themselves. I think some of this legislation um, a plus of it is is seen uh, the idea of tripping Labour up and therefore creating these dividing lines and having things to attack them with during the next general election campaign. So there is quite a political nature. I think on the legal migration bill, that is something where they think they need this in lockstep with the Rwanda scheme to kind of make things move more smoothly in terms of reducing appeals. But as you get through uh, the process of all these amendments coming in, the question is, does it still do what you wanted to do? Because it was a very careful balance to begin with. And having, uh, you know, some some changes through negotiations with rebels, which move it to the right, um, and then also uh, some in terms of provision on the left, means it might not be the tool uh, which was originally planned to do, but you still will have that political element at least. That's a very interesting point. Um, I've got to also ask in terms of responding to that last week's local election is today the offer which Rishi Sunak's making with the GP access and specifically as well broadening the role of pharmacies. Now as well you've been looking at the role of the NHS throughout its history. Uh, what do you make of today's plans and um, how do they fit within the kind of context of what's happening within the NHS? 
Well, obviously, spectator readers won't be surprised by this uh, because we had an exclusive by our colleague Lucy Dunn uh, on plans for this. And then Katie asked Rishi Sunak about this in her interview with the Prime Minister. Um, So we've been all over this um, for months and uh, it's part of the government's uh, primary care recovery plan. um, And GPs are obviously a hugely important part, not just of the way the health service operates, but of the way the public relates to the health service more widely and we've seen sort of now in common political parlance the talk of the 8am rush to get an appointment. Keir Starmer likes to talk about it a lot um, because it helps him emphasise the difference between normal Keir who goes to see an NHS GP and loaded Rishi Sunak who until recently was using private healthcare. Um, But it's also something that does wind people up um, that they have to phone their GP surgeries and um, often can't actually get through because it's engaged. So part of the plan that's being announced today um, is that GPs will have their phone systems upgraded um, so that it's a cloud um, phone system. That means you're not just thrown off by an engaged tone. You can wait in a queue. Um, it's always worth pointing out that GP infrastructure can be can be really very poor, as as in the rest of the NHS. Um, but the other bit of it is the uh, the bit that spectator readers won't be surprised by, which is um, a move to pharmacies doing more prescribing. Um, along the lines of the Pharmacy First scheme um, that uh, I'm talking to you from Scotland today, and uh, we have Pharmacy First up here, and I have to say it does work uh, very well and does mean that you can also get a, a GP appointment much more easily. Um, so it's it's got a it's got a precedent. It's already been tried in a in a different part of the UK. Uh, this is for England, um, and ministers are saying it will free up ten million GP appointments, which sounds a lot. Ten million per year sounds a lot. There's actually three hundred and forty million GP appointments per year, so it's it, it is a tiny percentage of the overall um of the overall number of appointments but uh but it's something that Rishi Sunak knows that he needs to grapple with um and something that can make a tangible difference quite quickly as opposed to the GP recruitment and retention crisis um which given how long it takes to train a GP um and given the fact that once you've trained them they seem to quite like leaving because they're miserable doing the job um is a much harder thing to solve Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Isabel. And thank you for listening to Coffee House Shots. And if you enjoyed listening to this podcast, then why not come along to our Coffee House Live Coronation Special event on May the 10th? Fraser Nelson, Katie Bulls, and Camilla Tomney, Associate Editor of The Telegraph, will be discussing the coronation of King Charles III and what it means for the United Kingdom. The event's from 7pm at the Emmanuel Centre in London, and you can book tickets at spectator.co.uk forward slash coronation.